It's great to see you and welcome you to Providence Church. We're so glad that you are here. My name is Jacob Armstrong, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so glad that you would join us on this morning and want to welcome all those who are joining us on the live stream as well. Welcome, welcome to Providence and welcome to worship. Uh, many of you were here last weekend. I uh, just wanted to celebrate with you again that we had over 137 people who said yes to Jesus uh, and were baptized or recommitted their lives. Yeah. <laughs> So I say over 137 because we've now received uh, people on the live stream who've communicated with us, say yes to Jesus, who'll be coming uh, to, be, to be baptized. So it's really super. We had 27 folks come uh, uh, last Sunday, just, just got up out of their chairs, and uh, many of them got in their water and, their, and the blue jeans on <laughs> and their sweaters because uh, they were ready to say yes. And um, yeah, it's one of my favorites. A dad and a son just got in together, so really Really cool. Uh, we've been following up with these, these folks, and, and God is good. And I just wanted to thank you for all that you invest in Providence to see lives changed. As Mark mentioned, we're going to begin uh, a journey through actually just 10 verses of Scripture over the next four weeks. We're going to be looking at 10 verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, the reference is there in your program if you want to look at it uh, just to know what we're going to be journeying through, because I would encourage you to read along over the next month, just be, to read these verses, read them over and over 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15 in, in the time that you read the Bible. If you're not reading the Bible every day, I would encourage you uh, to do that and, and just uh, jump into what is a life-changing experience. We have uh, Bibles that are actually out at the Connect area. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one. And we even have large print. So I'm just throwing that out there. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> Second Corinthians is, as it sounds, it's the second uh, uh, letter, it's the second book that we have about this church in Corinth. It's written by a guy named Paul, and actually the majority of the New Testament was written by Paul. Paul was writing letters to churches that he had helped start. And so uh, Second Corinthians is the second letter that was written to the church in Corinth. And it's especially important, I think historically significant to note that when Paul was in Corinth helping start the church was only 15 to 18 years after Jesus was resurrected. So Jesus, uh, Paul is talking to these people who are, this is the brand new church, right? And as you can imagine, he has to pretty much go over everything with them. And I like to read these books because we're a church that's, you know, 10 years old, like the ones Paul was writing to, and it helps me to see that they're still figuring it out, right? They're seeing God work in amazing ways, but they're still kind of figuring it out. Even the leadership, right, is thinking, what do we do here, and how do we, how do we handle this? This particular passage, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is really mostly about a financial collection, that Paul's talking to this church about how they can be a part of the movement of Christ and the movement of the church. He's talking to them about how they've already given very generously, and he's calling out to them about some other ways uh, that they can give. So I wanted you to have that uh, in your mind as you're reading this, but I also wanted you to know it, it'll be next week that we're really going to focus in on money and how that, uh, and what Paul's talking about. So you can know to, uh, to plan to be off next week, not this week. So I just wanted you uh, to know that. Actually, uh, I really would like to, I'd, I'd like to ask you to plan to be here next week. We're going to talk about money, and it's not going to be uh, about a big fundraising thing. I, I, I'm not going to be asking you to fund my TV ministry or anything like that. It's already fully funded uh, <laughs> by some people that believe in me, uh, and I don't, I don't need your help. Um, 
But we are going to talk about it because of the way that money affects your heart and the way that money affects my heart, right? The way um, that there's no way we can separate uh, all that we're working and all that we're doing and our finances and our budget. And, and, and God's word has something to say about that. So here's how it starts. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, remember this, all right? Which is a great technique of a teacher to say, remember this. What he's saying is, I'm about to tell you something that I've already told you. I'm about to tell you something I've already told you. And I've learned, that's pretty much what we do here at the church, right? I've already told you this, but we're going to talk about it again. So remember this. Remember this. And what Paul says to remember is he says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. It's some agricultural language here, but we can, we can relate. Even if, you're not, uh, even if you're not, you know, doing farming all the time, you can understand this concept of sowing seed, right? Preparing the soil, that's the sowing. And then the reaping is the harvest. The reaping is when you enjoy the fruits of your labor. So sowing is kind of the hard work, and reaping is the good work, and it's the good part. And Paul's saying, you guys know this. Remember, if you sow a little bit, you're going to get a little bit back. And uh, if you sow a lot, you are going to receive a generous kind of reward. His remember this, though, I think is referring back to some other things that the people of God would have known. So all throughout the scriptures, there were mentions of this concept, this principle of sowing and reaping. So you can see it in Proverbs. There are Proverbs 11, Proverbs 14, Proverbs 22 have verses about how spiritually we can sow into our lives and we'll get that back. So it talks about sowing uh, wickedness and you're going to get that back. It talks about sowing uh, good things in your life and you're going to get that back. Not just in Proverbs, there are verses in the prophets. Hosea is one of them, has this beautiful verse, and it says, if you sow righteousness, you'll reap unfailing love. It's just like, if you, pour, if you want to put God's goodness into your life, put God's goodness into your family, put God's goodness into your business, then just expect love upon love upon love upon love to come back to you. You see the principle of sowing and reaping. But most likely, Paul was probably not talking about the Old Testament. These folks in Corinth may or may not have known about that, but he was probably referring back to some actual words of Jesus that Jesus talked about sowing and reaping. In one place in particular, he says, with the measure that you give, it will be measured back to you. It's got this really uh, cool imagery where he says it's, it will be uh, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. With the measure that you give, it will be measured unto you. So perhaps Paul was referring back to some words of Jesus that he taught them when he was with them years back, saying, hey, remember, remember this. You know, we talked about this. But even if it wasn't that, even if it wasn't him referring to Scripture, Paul could have just been saying, hey, you guys get this, right? This is life. This is farming. This is life. This principle uh, we understand. You know this, right? If you have a friendship and you pour into it and you serve your friend and you spend time together and you take a trip together, then the reward of that friendship is going to be more generous, right? Uh, we know this. If you, if you have a son who loves to play baseball and you're a dad and you so generously into him and when he said, hey, dad, will you play catch? You play catch. And, when, and you teach him how to pitch and you take him to every practice and you get him all the place, then then his baseball career is going to be more generous than if you had just said, hey, that's on you, buddy, right? You decided that you would pour into it. So we just kind of, we just kind of uh, know this. And so Paul here in 2 Corinthians is about to start talking about the kind of heart that God loves. Wouldn't you be interested to hear that? Here's the kind of heart that God loves. But before he says what, what it's like, he says, remember this, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. And if you sow generously, you will reap generously. It's just a principle that they all would have known. 
I want to point this out, though. I believe that this is a principle, not a formula. It's a principle, not a formula. So a principle, like as defined by Webster's Dictionary, is a fundamental truth that is a foundation for behavior, right? So that's what a principle is. It's a, it's a truth. We all believe it to be true. You reap, what you, you reap what you sow. You know, we believe that to be true. And so that's a foundation for my life, and it affects how I live. That's a principle. It affects your behavior. So you might be like me, and you might say, I want my children to know about God. I believe that children growing up knowing about God, knowing about God's love for them, knowing about God's forgiveness for them, knowing that God will never leave them, the things that we, that we would teach here, I believe that that's truth. That's a foundation for me as a father to stand on, and it should affect my behavior. I don't know if you saw, we had a group of fifth graders that were in here. They come in during the service uh, and sit here. They're a part of worship. They're learning. That's because you all have fifth graders, and you bring them here because you believe it's true that it's good for them to know about God. You stand on that. It affected your behavior today. You got up. You got them ready. I don't want to hear about it. I know it wasn't easy, right? You got them here. And we are a community of people saying we believe in that principle. So we bring them in here. They learn about worship. They sing the songs. They're being taught. They'll be brought back into, into the service and, and on and on it goes. So that's a principle. A formula is a mathematical rule. So a mathematical rule says this plus this equals this. That's a formula. And a lot of times in our life, what we want is a formula, right? We want a formula is all about results. A principle is believing something to be true, standing on it as a foundation, and acting according to it regardless of result. So you're saying, I believe it to be true, and I'm standing on it. I'm going to do it regardless of result. And so a lot of times we, uh, we want a formula, but we know that that's not really how life works. If that was true, some of you parents in here who brought your kids to church and you want them to know God, they're in a season right now where they're not connected to the church and they, they, don't, they don't know God or they're not connecting with God, right? And that's because uh, it's not a formula. But the principle remains true that you believe it be true and you brought that before them and you acted in accordance with it. So if you're looking for formulas, this is probably not your book. It's not really a formulaic kind of thing. If you are interested in principles that are true, that you can stand on and you can act out of, then uh, we'll keep reading, all right? The question of the reaping and sowing principle is a very simple question. You, you, could, you could see it easy. The question is this, what are you pouring yourself into? That's the, the question of the sowing and reaping principle. You reap what you sow. And so we ask ourselves then, well, what am I sowing into? What am I pouring my life into? What are you, what are you, what are you actually uh, pouring yourself uh, into? The verse goes on to say, each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what kind of heart does God love? God loves a cheerful giver, one who decides what they're going to give, what they're going to pour into. So it's deliberate. It's not manipulation. You decide what you're going to give your heart to. But don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, for God actually loves a heart that is cheerful. What I love about this is that it is intentional, right? It's deliberate, but then there's also this part of it that uh, is free-flowing and lacks restraint. So I would say it this way. The heart of a cheerful giver is deliberate, and it does not hold back. So the heart of a cheerful giver is, is uh, deliberate, and there's this element of abounding in their life. It's purposeful and free. It's, um, it's intentional, 
and there's an extravagance around him. This is the gospel, guys, okay? This is the gospel. God's given you a mind for you to, to think and act. God's given you a heart. But then there's also this part of it that once you've connected with God, you begin to pour your life out. So many people last week in this church did something very deliberate. I'm getting out of my chair. Why am I getting out of my chair? I'm actually going forward. I'm going to go talk to the pastor. I want to give my life to Jesus. You see, that's intentional, right? They had to say, okay, body, move, legs, let's go up there. But when you get to the water, there's this thing that happens that feels like it's free. It's extravagant. It's abounding. That's the gospel. And what happens if you are a new Christian or one of those who recommitted, what you need to know is actually God begins to do a work in you that your mind begins to become more like the mind of Christ and your heart begins to come more like the heart of God. And so you begin having behavior that's way out of what you would have thought, but it's because you're acting in a deliberate uh, but also uh, sort of a, a free, a free um, thing that God is giving you. Which leads to the, the next question I have for you, which is connected to this idea of having a cheerful uh, cheerful giving heart, and it's a harder question. It's this, how are you pouring your life out? So what am I pouring myself into? Most of you could probably have answered quickly. Pour myself into my kids. Pour myself into my job. You know, that's the what. Right now I'm caring for my parents. That's my thing. I'm pouring my life out into that. I'm pouring my life out into my grandkids. But the cheerful giver verse makes us begin to ask, okay, well, how are you pouring your life out? So, I, I mean, I get up here and talk. Y'all hear me. You hear about my life. And so you could probably you can name the things I am the what. What is Jacob giving his life to? You know, you know that. I am, I, am, I am giving my life to my kids, right? In this season of my life, it's my favorite season. My, my girls are, they have their own passions. They have their own purposeful decisions. They're running after those. It's beautiful. It's sort of like I'm, I'm watching them. And I drive them to all those places. That's my deal, right? I get them there. And I absolutely Love it, right? Um, yesterday, my daughter Mary had a competition in Alabama. We drove as a family down there. She performed, her routine was three minutes long, and then we drove home. It was amazing. <laughs> but if you were to ask, well, okay, how are you pouring your life out? That's the assessment that I had to do this week to stand before you. How are you pouring your life out? I thought, here's things that I heard myself say. Oh, geez, you forgot your water bottle? You missed your bus again? Come on. Hey, hurry up. We got to go. Uh, this didn't, wasn't really said this week, but it's kind of imaginary. This thing was like, you know, where it's like, um, I had to buy my own car, you know? <laughs> yeah, with my own money. How? I had a job. Real job. Paid for it. Um, and so if, if you were to ask, that sounds cranky. Right? You see what I'm saying? What are you pouring your life? Oh, I know what I'm pouring my life into. I pour my life into my kids. They're my passion. I love them. I, they're my everything. Well, how are you doing that? Uh, sometimes reluctantly. Sometimes under compulsion. Are you following me? Um, so the other, you, you guys get, what else am I pouring my life into? This church, Providence Church right now, I feel like I'm literally living into my dreams. Last weekend for me, I don't know if it was written on my face, but it's like, this is my dream to see people in this community who felt disconnected from God connect. I'm pouring myself into it. How am I doing that? Well, if you ask some of my team, they, they haven't said this, but I can say it for them. Some days reluctantly, right? Some days under compulsion. That's true. And here's the deal. God loves me when I'm cranky. I'm not saying God loves a cheerful giver doesn't mean God doesn't love you uh, when you're cranky. God loves you when you're cranky. God loves you when you're, when you're reluctant. God loves you when you're acting under compulsion. 
God just loves you. That's what you need to hear. God loves you. So God loves a cheerful giver is not saying, here's what you need to find out because God doesn't love you when you're not, do- when you're not doing that. No, no, that's not what it means. It means what it's saying is God loves when you're a cheerful giver. Right? Here's the best analogy I know. When I was watching Mary last night in her uh, cheerleading competition, I loved seeing her. She had been intentional, deliberate, months of preparation, but now it was free. Now she was doing this beautiful thing. I'm elbowing the guy next to me. I don't even know him. That's my kid, you know? And, I, and God loves you all the time, but he loves when you have made a deliberate decision, right? You're focused and you're acting not under compulsion, but you're free and giving it and you're beautiful. God, you see, is a cheerful giver. And so God loves when he sees that coming uh, out in us. God loves to see his heart in us. In fact, our giving hearts are the overflow of God's giving heart. Jesus is saying it pour, you know, it's pressed down, it pours out into your lap. What, what we do, all of our giving, is only the overflow of God's giving heart. You become a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver. And then you get to verse eight, listen to this. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Let me say it again. This is just one of those awesome verses. When it gets down in you, it does something, okay? And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. When this verse gets in you, it does cool stuff. You start feeling joy you didn't know you had. You start finding power that you didn't know you had access to. You start believing in provision for your life that you didn't know were there. Why? Because God's saying, I'm able to bless you abundantly in all things, at all times, having everything you need. You will abound in every good work. So let's break it down. The first part is just this. God is able. God is able. We wake up most mornings, I do, and start thinking about, am I going to be able? You know what I mean? Am I going to be able to make it through the day? Am I going to be able to get all the things done? Am I going to be able to get them all those places? I'm not feeling well today. Am I going to be able to get through this? You know, am I going to be able to to not eat every Reese's peanut butter cup in the kids' Halloween basket? You know, stuff like that. Rachel actually woke me up one morning this week, and she said, did you eat all the peppermint patties that Phoebe set out for her, for herself today? And I said, woman, you know I did, you know? (laughs) I am not able. I am not able to not eat those. And every part of that story is, is true, except the part of calling her woman. I've never called her that. But when she's not here, it's fun to say it uh, out into the ether. So we wonder, I wonder about my ability. Do you? We wonder, am I going to be able? And Paul's like, oh, you guys are asking the wrong question. God is able. God is able. That's what, that's what you need to wake up and, and, and think. God is able. Oh, yeah, I remember. I'm a Christian. I've been, I remember this. I've been taught this before. God is able to do it. God's able to get me through the day. God's going to keep me going even though I'm sick. God's going to give me self-control. I'm going to rely on God instead of thinking all about my own ability. And then the next part is this, God is able to bless you, which sounds good, doesn't it? God is able to bless you. It just feels good to say it. What it really literally means is that God is able to abound to you every part of his grace. Right, that's sort of a breakdown of the words. God will able to, is able to give you all of his grace, which means we stand here and we talk here at church that God, uh, God is so good, God is able to give you all of God's goodness. 
God's kindness, hopefully you've heard about here, God is able to extend to you all of God's kindness. God's mercy, some of us, you know, we're like, I need a lot of mercy. Good news, God is able to bless you with every part of his mercy, which leads to the next part of this verse, that God is able to bless you abundantly. It sounds abundant, and that's because it is. God's, uh, God's scope of what God can do, it's God's deliberate, it's focused, intentional, God knows what God is doing, but also it's just like pouring over God is able to bless you abundantly. Why? Why does God want to bless us abundantly? Paul would say, I'm so glad you asked. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So many of you came forward last weekend, others of you in your own heart making decisions. You know, Mark and I weren't able, before we put people in the water, to tell everybody all the stuff. We don't know all the stuff, you know, to to have full understanding. But what I would want you to know, because some of you encountered, some of you made a big decision last week, and then Monday morning you woke up, and and all the, I'm trying to think of the right word, all the crud that was a part of your life before was right there again on Monday morning. And all the stuff that you thought you were getting free from and and that you were going to get away from, it's like it came right back to you. And, and you start thinking things like, I'm a fool. Why did I think that making that intentional act would, would have any effect on my life? I've got all the same people. I've got the same job. I've got all the same stuff. Well, here's another part of that teaching. You have to come back, right? And we remember together, a part of that teaching is that in all things, so all the things that you're facing, God is there at all times. There's no time outside of where God is gonna be present with you. God will give you all that you need so that you can abound in every good work, so that you can begin to see good work start coming out of your life. That's a lot of alls and everys, isn't it? And the reason is it's everything. It's, it's, it's in every place that God can abound in your life. As an eighth grader, uh, you know, as a mom, as a grandparent, as a city official, whatever it is you are, God's able to abound in every good work. And that's why we want some of you to sign up to come spend the night on a Thursday or Friday night with people that sleep on the streets in Wilson County because God's working in your heart and now it's time for you to abound in every good work. You've stepped into the truth and so your behavior should now look like somebody who serves Christ, which means you serve people. So you can come make breakfast for folks or you could be a part of a soldier's child and and take care of some children who may feel forgotten. You could be a part of a turkey drop and invest your money and invest your time to see that someone else has a Thanksgiving dinner that's equivalent to your Thanksgiving dinner because we're not about you know, just giving a handout. We wanna see things abound for other people. We wanna see it be extravagant. And so uh, this is the gospel, right? We make this decision. God is Lord over our mind and our heart. We begin to live into that and we see his grace abounding in our lives. I've got one last thing and, um, and it's just I can't quite leave it out. Uh, it seems contradictory, but, but hang with me. So I talked about how you will reap what you sow, right? That principle, you will reap what you sow. Well, the Bible also says this, sometimes you reap what you did not sow in a good way. Hang with me, okay? These things don't contradict. You will reap what you sow. It's true. But you'll also, sometimes you'll reap what you did not sow. There was this time Jesus was talking about harvest and talking about reaping or sowing and reaping. And he said, hey guys, guess what? There are fields that you're gonna reap that you did not sow. Meaning there are some things that God can do that are bigger than the seeds that you've planted, that are more than the effort that you put into it. And as generous as you can be, there's still some things uh, uh, supernaturally that, I, that God is working that you did not sow. 
Uh, this verse, uh, that verse from John that I'm talking about was a verse that came before my wife and I when we were uh, moved here to start Providence Church. And it was in 2008, and we just felt like God told us, you're going to get to reap some fields that you did not sow. We thought we were going to come and do a bunch of hard work and see the, you know, the fruit of our labor. God said, you're going to get to reap fields you did not sow. So when we moved here, Providence was sort of new, just a couple years old. There was all the neighborhoods and everything, but it was still being built up. But it was very well planned. You know, they had all the stuff there. And so I had this thing that I wondered about as a 27-year-old. I would wonder, I said, you know, why, didn't, why wasn't there anybody at the, the boardroom table that was a part of planning Providence that thought about putting a church there? You know, it was kind of selfish. I was like, I just kind of wanted a place to build my church, you know? But I wondered, why didn't, they, why didn't they think of that? When they sat down at the boardroom table, they thought of everything, right? They've got the schools, they've got the walkways, they've got the movie theater, they've got the grocery store, they've got frozen yogurt, they've got that little pottery place you can go in, like, you know, make a pot and they put it in a kiln, next week you go pick it up. Like, I mean, if you have that, you have pretty much everything, right? Everything's there. It's like, like the developers are on it. Thank you. Buffalo Wild Wings, check. You know, we are so <laughs> thankful for all. I mean, everything was perfectly planned, maybe except the traffic patterns, but I'm not here to judge uh, the, the former developers. But I just thought, why couldn't the church be at the boardroom table? And this piece of land that we're on, it's 23 acres. It was the last piece of residential land uh, in the plan development of Providence. It was going to be a neighborhood for 80 homes. So if you live in Del Webb, you're welcome, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I moved here, it was $2 million. That was the price. I mean, we didn't even have a place to meet. Three years later, we had a church that was meeting at Stoner Creek Elementary, and this was the last piece of land. We were Providence Church, and we were not in Providence. It was important. And they dropped the price from $2 million to $1.5 million. Still way more than, than we could take, but it was when the economy had sort of, sort of tanked. And so we decided that on faith, we would make an offer, the leadership of this church, and we, we thought it was sort of the biggest thing we could come up with, and we made an offer of a million dollars, 30% less than what they were asking. They invited us to meet with them at their offices in Brentwood. We sat down, and I went, there's these really smart people in our church who are good at negotiating, and our deal was I could go if I didn't say anything. So <laughs> they were like, it'll be good for you to be there. Uh, it makes sense, but don't talk. Uh, so I had these smart people, right? who knew how to do that kind of thing. We're going through it all, but they're like, it's a million, it's $500,000 than what they were asking, a million dollars less than it was the week before, right? So they're sort of scratching their head, and there was this older gentleman at the table who they told us had owned this land decades before. He was a part of the development group now, but he owned all this land for some time. And he said, I want to ask you a question to me. I look at the guys like, can I talk? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, he said, what's your dream for this church? which is what you guys have heard me say over and over. It was really easy to say. Our dream is to see people who feel disconnected from God and the church find hope and healing and wholeness in Jesus Christ. And while I was saying those words, do you know what I realized? I was sitting at the boardroom table, literally. The, the schematics for Providence were on the wall. I was sitting at the boardroom table where the people had met and planned, and God had now put me in that place. They told us, they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to make a counter. We're going to talk. We're going to make a counter offer. That's how this works. So we set up another meeting a few days later. Jake, you know, we all come. Jacob, don't talk, all that kind of stuff. And they slid the sheet of paper. They said, this is our counter offer. Uh, our counter offer is we accept your offer. And literally, the guys who could talk, they said, why? That was what, that's, what they, that's what came, it just came out. Why? And they said he wasn't there. They said the older gentleman who owns this land when we left, I actually remembered a piece of this just in between the service. 
he said, my dad was a pastor. And he said, I always thought, you know, what could I do for the kingdom? And he said, I always had a dream that there would be a church here as a part of this community. And I think that you guys are the ones to do it. You see, somebody had poured into him, had stood on the foundation, right? And they had acted out of that, poured something into him. What I'm, what I'm getting at, guys, is sometimes you get to reap things that you did not sow, right? Sometimes you just reap what you didn't sow. And we are a part of something God's been doing for a long time. It's still true to say you reap what you sow. We're pouring ourselves into it. We're going to see a generous harvest. But just remember that there are things that you're going to be a part of that God's been planning and doing for a long time. And just because God is so extravagant, we get to be a part of it. So I want to ask you, what are you pouring your life into? And how are you doing it? God is a cheerful giver. And as our heart becomes like God's heart, we begin to give in that same kind of generous, cheerful way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this principle of understanding that what we pour ourselves into just a little bit, we'll get a little bit back. But if we pour a generous amount out, we'll receive a generous portion back. And we also thank you for this understanding that you are letting us walk into things that are much bigger than us. And so we give great thanks. We thank you for pouring out your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, pouring out his life, that he went to the cross, was crucified, died and was buried and then rose from the grave. And so in these symbols of bread and juice, we remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed for our forgiveness and that we get to receive it. So help us, God, as we come forward to truly receive Jesus and all that he has for us today. In his name we pray. Amen.